thankful to be with you this morning. If you would turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 will begin in verse 1. There's sermon notes at novachurch.org or on your Nova Community Church app. And um, there will be three points in the sermon today and some other scriptures we'll take a look at. But we are in a summertime series, learning from the Bible accounts where people said three words, here I am. And we have explored from the scriptures, here I am people like Isaiah and Mary and um, Ananias and Samuel. And today, we'll take a look at one of the most well-known passages of scripture with Abraham saying, these three words. Have you ever had to leave what was comfortable or what was familiar or what was well known to you and you had to go to a place that was unknown and uncomfortable? Maybe it was a new place to live. You moved from one city to another or you moved from one county to another and it was altogether different. Maybe you left the state or even maybe you had to live or you wanted to live in another country. Maybe it was a new job that you got and so you left a a, a job that you enjoyed and, and that you spent time at and then you had to actually go to another job or maybe it was a new school and that could be traumatizing for anybody to go to a new school that you didn't know anything about. Or have you ever, in your going to some place, you didn't really know what it was going to be like? Or maybe you didn't know exactly where you were going. Some years ago, I, I was traveling in Japan. Now, I was born in Japan, but um, in a U.S. Air Force base. And then when I was two years old, we came to the United States. And so I don't remember any of that, really. I saw where I was born, which is no longer an Air Force base anymore, but I, I saw it from a distance. But I was traveling in Japan for two weeks by myself, and I was traveling, speaking at different churches, and some leaders in Japan asked me to speak at their missions conferences. And so I just arrived, and someone picked me up from the airport, took me to where I was staying, and then that night they said, okay, tomorrow morning... At 7.30 in the morning, there'll be a gathering of pastors, and so we really want you to bring some teaching to them. And it was like that day after day. But one day, I jumped on a bullet train, the high-speed rail in Tokyo, and took it all the way to Osaka. I've never been to Osaka before, and so I got on the train. They made sure I got on the right train, and I sat there, and I was thinking, oh, man, how do I know, or where do I, what am I, when do I get off? Right? And so I, I kind of was talking to people in English. I, it was like, hey, I'm going to this place. When the train stops, can you like tell me this is your stop? Because the announcements I didn't understand. And, um, and so he said, okay. And then the train went for, I think, about 90 minutes or an hour and a half or uh, two hours or something like that. And it was time, and so the guy gets up, and he kind of pokes me and says, hey, 
this train's going to stop, and then that's when you get off. I said, okay. So I'm all set. I'm getting my stuff together. I'm nervous because they said there's going to be someone that's going to pick me up on the, on the platform, but I don't know who it is. And so, and I don't know how, I've never seen this guy, and he's never seen me. There was, he saw pictures of me, but, you know, I, I have no idea. So anyways, the train stops. I'm nervous just talking about it. And so the train stops, and the doors open. I get my bags, and I go out, and there's, you know, tons of people all over, and I'm kind of going slow. And the guy who nudged me and said, this is your stop, well, the train just stopped. And so then I got out. Everyone got off. And uh, he said, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. And then I finally see a guy, a young man, and he's holding a sign, right? You've seen that before. It says Reverend Maeda. You haven't seen the Reverend Maeda sign, but I did. <laughs> and I was really happy to see him. And so he said, come with me. And he didn't speak Japanese. I mean, he didn't speak English either. And I don't speak Japanese. And so it was like that for two weeks. And after two weeks, I was just done with that. You know, it was just like, I want to speak English. I want to eat a Costco hot dog, you know, I want, I want what's familiar to me. For some of you, that sort of thing is exciting. It's adventurous. It's fun. It's what you want. And for others of you, it produces a lot of anxiety. It's pretty scary. It's no bueno. It's just not good for you. So this is where we find ourselves in the story of Abraham today. When God first called Abraham, you'll see it in Genesis 12 verse 1. It's in your notes. It says, God calls Abraham and God says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And so God's calling Abraham away. And 21 chapters later, God tells Abraham again to go. And then he says to Abraham, I'll give you the details later. Let's take a look at our text today. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When, they had enough, uh, when they, he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is one of the most familiar stories of ancient literature. Even a form of this story with Abraham and his son is found in the Koran. And when you read it, it draws you in, doesn't it? I mean, it's an incredible story. It's emotional. There's tension, and then there's release. And it calls to us many questions. And scholars and experts have debated multiple meanings in the text. And so today, I'm going to do my best with this. I think we can learn deeply from this story if we explore three movements in this story. And so we'll explore these three movements. The first is the call, the second is the test, and the third is the sacrifice. So the first, number one, the first movement is the call. In verse two, it says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. The Genesis 12 uh, initial call of Abraham is very similar to this Genesis, 20, Genesis 22 call. There's three parts of this call. The first is go. That's what's familiar in both. Leave the familiar is what God is saying to Abraham. Leave what you know. Leave the blessings in your life and leave your happiness. So the first part of that call is go. The second part is go to a place that I'm going to tell you about later. It's not go to a place and here's what that place is. It's go to a place, I'll tell you about that place later. And Abraham is called by God to go to a place he did not know. Already, when you're called to go, you want to know where you're going. You could do your Google search on that place and see what is there, see what the weather's going to be like and all that. But Abraham has none of that here. It's what I call going without knowing. And that's what God is calling him to. So the first part of the call is go. The second is go to a place I'm not going to even tell you about right now. And the third is when you go to that place, you're going to give up something. Abraham is called to offer something up. In Genesis 12, the initial call, Abram is called to leave his comfort. He's, it's called, he's called to leave all that he knew. 
He's called to leave his culture and his status and his family. And here, of course, in the Genesis 22 call, he's called to offer up his son, right? He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. It's as if, it's almost like God is sort of making it very specific, very detailed. Almost you can even, in a negative way, say God's just rubbing it in, how hard that's going to be. So what can we learn about the call of God? Because the Bible has all kinds of scriptures about the call of God. In our time, when we talk about God calling me, it's usually to some sort of... um, some purpose or maybe some position in ministry. It's the call of God. And with pastors, we talk about uh, where have you been called to? And it's talking about when a church calls a pastor. But Paul writes about calling in a different way. He writes in Romans chapter 8. He says in verse 28, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And in verse 30, he says, those he called, he also justified. So with this, I could say, if you're a Christian, God has called you unto himself. If you're a Christian, God's called you. And then Paul again writes in in, um, Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He's called us to a hope. He's called us to be justified. He's called us unto himself if you're a follower of Christ. And Paul's saying that a Christian is not just someone who's trying to live by a certain set of rules. Could we say that you're not a follower of Jesus unless you were called? I think we could say that. The calling is not just a one-time for the believer. The call keeps coming on by God. He keeps calling you to himself. The writer of Hebrews explains Abraham's calling. What does it mean to hear the call like Abraham was called? In Hebrews chapter 11, and verses 8 and verse 10, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 10, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So there's something there about our calling as a believer. You understand the call of God when your foundations are of God. Let me say that again. You understand the call of God when your foundations are of God. Not the things of this world that make up a lot of people's foundations. So what's your foundation made of? Think about what what makes your life secure and solid. Is it your friends or friendship? Is that your foundation? Is it a love relationship? What are your foundations in your life? Is it your occupation? Is it your family? Those are all good things. But if those are my foundations, if that's my foundation, and some 
friends leave, or I lose my job, or my family's in conflict, then that house of your life, it's pretty rocky. It's pretty unstable. It's pretty weak. All of those are good things, but it can't be your foundation. But let's, let's just take a look, think of this first movement of the call and think of some practical applications for the everyday Christian here. I think the first practical thing we can think about here is when God calls, when God calls, there's always an aspect of you go without knowing everything. We read this over and over and over again in the Bible. When someone's called, they're called to go, but not all the details are there. And so we understand that call in that way. The second thought or practical reality is this. Um, It's what I want in my life is what, what God wants for us in our life is he wants us to go and put our faith in him. Because the Christian life, I think practically we can just say, is not for wimps. It's not for the weak. It's not for, it, it's not for those who feel weak. The Christian life is not for wimps. Elizabeth Elliot tells a story. She's a, um, a, a writer. She used to be a speaker. She's in heaven now. And she tells about visiting friends in North Wales who were sheep farmers, ranchers. Elizabeth Elliot she shares about how the sheep are vulnerable to being eaten to death by insects and parasites. And so once every year, the shepherd has to take his sheep and put them in this huge bath, this huge vat of antiseptic and completely submerge the sheep. And the farmer, in order to save the life of the sheep from death, has to actually hold the sheep under this antiseptic until they have been disinfected. Elizabeth Elliot writes, one by one, John, my friend, the rancher, one by one, John sees the animals and they would struggle to climb out the side and Mac, the sheepdog, would snarl and snap at their faces and force them back under. When they tried to climb up the ramp in a panicky way at the far end, John the rancher would catch them and spin them around and force them under again, holding their ears, eyes, and nose submerged for a few seconds. And as their lord and master was pushing their head under, drowning them at least as far as they could tell, their panicky little eyes would look up over the edge of the vat, and it was easy to see what they were thinking. What do you think they were thinking? What's my master doing to me, right? They're they're, they're thinking, why is he trying to kill me? And reflecting on the experience, Elizabeth Elliot writes, I've had some experiences in my life which have made me feel very sympathetic to those poor sheep. There are times I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment I was getting from my great shepherd whom I trusted. And like these sheep, I didn't have a hint of an explanation. Your shepherd, who is trying to save you, will sometimes 
for you feel like he's trying to kill you, right? So today, if you're struggling, as Adam prayed about this morning, if you're feeling broken, if your life is just hurting right now, and you think, I feel like dying, or I feel like I am dying, you think about what the shepherd and how he loves you and what the shepherd is doing in your life. And maybe he's saving you from what's coming in the future. Here I am is Abraham's answer to the call. The second movement in the passage is the test. Now, there is a difficulty. There's sort of a terror or a horror with the outrageous ask of God in this test. And many people for thousands of years have been deeply troubled uh, by this test. In the sort of the traditional approach or the traditional moral of this, this story is this. It's, the moral of this story is sort of like traditionally, no matter how outrageous God's command is, do it anyways. To obey God is to obey him perfectly. Now, the scriptures that do exhort us to unconditional obedience, but there is a problem with reading this text with that in mind. Is God calling all of his followers to live spiritually insane lives? There's two truths here. The first is, God does not tell Abraham to murder his son. God calls Abraham to offer him up. And the second truth that is embedded in here is Abraham understood the meaning of the firstborn. There's a debt of sin that every human being owes, so Abraham understood the meaning of the firstborn. Now Abraham, like in the culture of the day, looked to his firstborn as the hope of the family. Now God says, the life of the firstborn is mine. And the firstborn cattle are sacrificed to God. The first fruits of a harvest of, a, of, a, of the crops are given to God. And God says, the firstborn is mine. Now in our sermon series in Exodus, if you remember that, we've been going through the book of Exodus, taking a pause on that right now. We looked at the Passover. It's God's judgment that has come down on the Egyptians who were wicked and enslaved people unfairly. And the firstborn is struck dead. And the Hebrews' firstborn are also struck down unless a lamb was sacrificed and the blood was taken and put on the doorposts of the house so that when the angel of death would come to take the firstborn, it would look at the, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the house and pass it over. And God continues this, Exodus 22, Numbers chapter 10, Numbers chapter 8, chapters 3. The life of the firstborn is forfeit unless there is redemption, a sacrifice made, a, a payment made. And God says, there's a debt of sin that every family owes me. And when God called Abraham here in Genesis 22, it made total sense to him. Abraham knew that God is holy and he's a God of justice. And humanity fails to live 
according to that law of justice. So every human being lives self-centered lives, and that's why our world is such a mess today. And in this way, though, the giving up of the firstborn was just God's way of saying there's a debt of sin that needs to be paid, and I'm calling for that right now. So this is how Hebrews 11 explains the horror of this test. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. What is that promise? Even though God said to him, and here's the promise, it is through Isaac that your offspring, offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God would even, could even raise the dead, and so in, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Now here's Abraham's confusion. Here's Abraham's conflict in his act of faith. It's the command of God contradicting the promise of God. God is calling him, but it contradicts God's promise to him. The command of God is just. The debt of sin must be paid. But the promise of God through Isaac is that the world would be saved. And so if Isaac was to die, how can Isaac be a blessing? It, it, it's confusing to Abraham. So how will this work out? Can a holy God be gracious? And can a God of grace be holy? And the answer to this is found in the third movement. So we have the call, we have the test, and the third movement is the sacrifice. It's about the sacrifice of the lamb. It's always about the sacrifice of the lamb. Experts in literature say the emotional climax of the story is when the narrator slows down the dialogue between the son and the father. Take a look at this. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's fascinating. Verse 3 in Genesis 22, the facts. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took two, with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, you guys stay here with the donkey. Me and the boy, we're going to go over there. We're going to worship and then we'll be back. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. And suddenly, the narrator slows down. Take a look at verse 7. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So beautiful. Verse 8, the word provide here is the Hebrew word that explains to see. And so Abraham said to Isaac, Isaac, you and I don't see the lamb. But God sees the lamb. I'm not sure how God will be a God of justice and the God who fulfills the promise. 
but we'll take one step at a time and see what God provides. And then, if you remember in the beginning, God calls Abraham to Mount Moriah, the region of Moriah. Now, Moriah means provision. So they were going to the mountain of provision, not the mountain of sacrifice, not the mountain of death. It was the mountain of provision. And Abraham's lamb, who was Isaac, could not pay the price for sin for the whole family for all time. The book of Hebrews tells us that sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs, there's a reason for them. In verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10, it says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Verse 3, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. So when they sacrifice once a year, it reminds them of their sin. It is impossible, in verse 4, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I think it's also interesting in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, when Solomon begins to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, he builds it on Mount Moriah. And so all of this is leading up to, to where we're at here in the story. Why didn't Abraham have to bring the knife down on his son? Because centuries later, centuries later, the father led his son up the same mountains. And the one and only son, Jesus Christ, was put on the wood of the cross. If Abraham only believed in a God of love, he would have never gone up the mountain. He, he would have told God, God, I don't owe you this. And if Abraham believed only in a God of justice, he would have never gone up the mountain because he knew he would have to have killed his son. For us, we read this story, we need to be real about our sin. What you owe. And know that God's incredible love and his grace and his mercy is there for us. And it's only on the cross that Jesus could be both God of justice and God of grace. Is the holy God God of both justice and mercy and grace? So why do we have this story? One reason is this, so that we have a true human understanding of what the Father did with his Son. In Genesis chapter 22, our text, in verse 12, an angel of the Lord says, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God is saying, Now that I know that you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Isaac and Abraham going up the mountain is a picture of God the Father paying the price for us. And the lesson of the story is not obey God, especially when he calls you to do ridiculous and outrageous things. But the lesson of this story is 
know that a holy God of justice is also the God of grace because he willingly sacrificed his son on the cross for the redemption of sin. And in your life, you're going to have enough tough mountains to climb. But for those who are followers of Jesus, you can trust the God of justice and the God of mercy together because he will provide everything that you need. Amen.